his teaching spoke about certain important conditions that lead us to awakening. All that we do in this path is a suggested uh, to us uh, so that we may uh, achieve this quality of awakening so that we can be awake so that we can be awake to the truth so that we can know the Dhamma know the Dhamma one of the most important conditions for awakening is seclusion. So even just this period of meditation, this half-hour period of meditation, uh, was time for seclusion. Meditation is time for seclusion. Of course, sometimes we uh, engage in uh, longer periods of seclusion for instance, on a retreat like the one we're having in a couple of weeks or the longer retreat in April. And then, of course, there's different uh, ways that we can uh, practice seclusion during the course of our days by taking time uh, to take a step back from the world, to take a step back from the world. So seclusion is uh, an integral condition in this path for awakening, for knowing the Dhamma, for being able to uh, know the truth or to practice with uh, the Four Noble Truths, which are really a practice, the uh, condition of seclusion uh, uh, puts us in a good position to uh, fulfill the duties of the Four Noble Truths, the first of which is to comprehend dukkha, uh, to comprehend that the heart is burdened really understand that the heart is burdened and to understand what that uh, entails, uh, to understand that it's burdened because we're clinging and to understand that uh, we've been clinging and creating these burdens on the hearts for uh, low these many days, weeks, months, years, decades, lifetimes. Uh, you know, this requires uh, uh, certain conditions to know the, the, this, this, uh, these profound uh, and uh, truths that are hard to see, hard to see, hard to see. You know, the Buddha was concerned uh, that, you know, when he set out to teach, that people wouldn't be able to see these things. Uh, but then he realized that, you know, some beings would. So there's some beings with just a little dust in their eyes. You know? So we're trying to create this, these conditions through seclusion, through meditation. So there's just a little dust in the, our eyes and so that we can awaken and know the Dhamma, so that we can know that the heart is burdened, so that we can know uh, what it is that we need to do to let go of these burdens and so that we can know what it is when we do let go, so that we can know that quality of uh, letting go or uh, abandoning uh, our clinging, so that we can know that quality uh, of, uh, of 
what the heart is when it's free of its burdens. So seclusion is so important for us so that we can know the Dhamma. So uh, in practicing seclusion, you know, we're taking a step back, as we like to say, from the world. There's an element of withdrawal from the world, uh, worldly affairs. Uh, one way that we might think of that is, uh, uh, you know, we're taking a step back from, we're withdrawing from the noise of the world. So in practicing seclusion and renunciation, uh, you know, we're turning off our phones and our, uh, our laptops and uh, taking a step back from the various forms of media and technology. taking a step back from uh, uh, the noise of the world as it's expressed in the views and opinions that we hear incessantly. Uh, we're taking a step back from withdrawing from uh, the voices of others, uh, the chatter, the noise that other beings make. We're also in practicing seclusion, withdrawing from uh, the chatter that our own voices make, uh, the noise of our own voices. One of our axioms that we often like to uh, remind each other of is that you, know, you can't train the mind until you train the mouth. So in practicing Dhamma, you know, we seek to refrain from harmful speech. We seek to refrain from lying and harmful speech. Uh, but also part of our practice is to uh, certainly, as we uh, trudge the lonely road of uh, toward awakening, is to refrain from too much speech, too much speaking, too much speaking, too much talking is a hindrance to awakening. So that's something for us to, to think about. How much do we talk? And certainly times of seclusion are times when we're refraining from speaking. So as we practice seclusion uh, and, and our practice of seclusion develops, uh, uh, you know, in correlation to uh, uh, our capacity to cultivate disenchantment with the noise of the world, uh, you know, we gradually little by slowly abandon the noise of the world. It's a process, right? It's a process uh, because we understand the drawbacks, right? We understand the drawbacks uh, and we understand it prevents us from silence. And we understand the blessing of silence. We understand the goodness of silence. The more we understand the goodness of silence, the more disenchanted we become with the noise of the world.
understand the goodness of the silence, the more disenchanted we become with the noise of the world. So our task is to understand the goodness of the silence. So the silence, the path, brings us to, ultimately, is an inner silence, an inner silence. You know, sometimes we say, you know, we live in the world, but we don't follow the ways of the world. You know, we can be in the world and still know and still be connected to an inner silence. So the cultivation of external silence, seclusion, and meditation on retreats uh, supports us profoundly in our efforts to develop internal silence. That's what the Buddha said. You know, in his instructions for developing tranquility, he said, go to a quiet place, go to the foot of a tree or an abandoned building, and cultivate meditation, cultivate tranquility, inner silence. So it's through our mental training, our meditation, specifically as students of the Buddha, uh, the practice of mindfulness of breathing, anapanasate, that we cultivate inner silence. Inner silence. We cultivate tranquility. And tranquility or calm, serenity, is one of the, the factors for awakening. Factors for awakening. Yeah. Buddha identified certain factors for awakening. As Tanisaru Bhikkhu says, they're not factors of awakening, they're factors for awakening. They're factors that we have to develop so that we can awaken, so that we can know the Dhamma, so that we can fulfill the duties of the Four Noble Truths, so that we can know happiness of heart, tranquility, calm, serenity, stillness, inner silence. Is one of these great factors for awakening. I remember many, many years ago uh, when I was studying with Christina Feldman, and she described, uh, defined uh, calm, tranquility. Uh, and as she said, most rightly, tranquility is the state in which the mind is non-afflicted, or at least less afflicted by thinking, particularly skillful thinking. And, and, and I mean, it's a very simple understanding, and it's a, you know, and it is what tranquility is. But I had never really quite understood. I didn't really know what tranquility is. It's really quite simple. There's less thinking in the mind. The mind is less afflicted by thinking. The less thinking there is, the more tranquility, the more silence. The less noise, you know, the less thinking, the greater the silence is. Now, of course, one of the paradoxes of Dharma practice is that in order to abandon unskillful thinking, we have to use skillful thinking. 
So in our meditation, we have to be thinking. We're using directed thought. Stay with the breath. We're evaluating the breath. We're spreading our mindfulness throughout the body. Uh, you know, we're using thought to guide ourselves through these steps in the meditation. But it's all in the service, ultimately, of abandoning thinking. The holy life is lived for the abandoning of becoming, the abandoning of this mental fabrication, fashioning. So the thinking that we're using in meditation, the thinking that we use throughout the course of our days so that we can abandon unskillful thinking is skillful thinking because it's thinking that we're engaging in uh, in the service of awakening. You could think of it as a scaffolding. You know, it's a scaffolding. You know, in order to be able to uh, attain inner silence, we need this scaffolding of skillful thinking. But in our practice, you know, gradually there's less thinking, right? Gradually there's less skillful thinking even. We still need to use it uh, uh, at certain higher levels of practice. You don't need to use it as much, but generally speaking, you still use it uh, in your practice. Uh, we're using it to get to this place of tranquility. So even in that you know, that little movement at the beginning of the meditation where we're maybe using mental noting at first and we may need to do that, budo, budo, in, out. Uh, eventually you want to let go of that because it's kind of too much, right? It's like you're always using those words, right? It kind of gets in the way of the silence, but you need it to kind of get the mind to settle down. Budo, budo is better than you know, what am I going to do, you know, on the 4th of July? Should I go on the retreat? Maybe I shouldn't go. I, I don't know, you know. It's like, what is he going to talk about today? You know, and it's like, all right, boo-do, boo-do, boo-do. But gradually you want to let go of that and then just use directed thought every once in a while. All right, stay with the breath. So there's a less thinking. You know, the mind is not uh, as proactive but you're still using thinking so that you can abandon unskillful thinking. You know? I mean, a perfect example of that is, you know, you keep going off, right? You know, I was going off on a train of thought, you know, at the beginning of the sitting, and I just questioned it, is it useful? So I needed to use that thought, is it useful, to, you know, undercut that thinking. Once I did that, it was like, the thinking dropped, you know, fell away, but I needed to use that fabrication but gradually there's a lessening of skillful thinking. Tranquility uh, is attained in great part, in great part by abandoning unskillful thinking. You know, that's why the Buddha's instructions at the beginning of you know, his, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta uh, and many of the other teachings on, where he gives the teachings on practicing uh, breath meditation, you know, he says we, we put aside greed and distress with reference to the world. I think in his current translation, Tanisar Bhikkhu is translating that as subduing, subduing. I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, he's always refining that. I think that's I was kind of looking at that because, oh, that's new. He changed it. Subduing greed and distress with reference to the world. Because it's sort of like pretty hard to kind of put it to the side completely, right? 
but we can subdue it. There can be less greed and distress, thoughts informed with greed and distress with reference to the world. So uh, in developing tranquility, we're abandoning unskillful thinking or the way I, you know, my, my, my prosaic, uh, uh, you know, translation of that is thoughts about jobs, relationships, and apartments, you know? you know. So we're putting aside or we're subduing those thoughts in our practice in the service of developing the factors for awakening and tranquility. We're putting aside views and opinions, subduing views and opinions, thoughts that are an expression of liking and disliking, aversion and desire. So in this practice of mindfulness of breathing, in a very simple way to think about it, as I've taught for many years, we're coming out of the head, out of thinking, to the body. The breath is our anchor, our center point in the body. Out of the head, out of the thinking, to the body. Out of the head, out of the thinking, to the body. The way that we do that is we use directed thought. All right, do an in, come out of the head. I don't usually speak about myself in the third person, but all right, come out of the head to the breath. Come out of the head to the breath to the breath. That's the only way. So again, you have to use some skillful thinking to get out of the head. Mind just isn't going to go there on its own, right? So, but you keep it simple. All right, go to the breath. Directed thought. That's the first step. Subduing greed and distress with reference to the world. All right, let's come out of the head and go to the breath. Feel the breath. Feel the breath. Once we're able to get some purchase on the breath, then we try to cultivate an easeful breath. This is our second step. So what we're doing here is making a good home for the mind, you know, a place where the mind will want to stay. Place where the mind will want to stay. First, we're kind of forcing our attention on the breath. We need to do that, but now we're going to create a place where the mind that the mind will incline to. So the mind is inclining to thoughts about the world. The mind is inclining to views and opinions. The mind is inclining to thoughts about jobs, relationships, and apartments. The mind is inclining to those things. The way that we get the mind to incline, incline somewhere else is, is, is creating, uh, shaping a pleasurable experience of breath and then ultimately body, a place where the mind will begin to incline to. That's the nature of the mind. The nature of the mind, as the Buddha knew, that was his great insight, that you know, the mind inclines to that which is pleasurable. One of his great insights, the moment I say, when, Buddhism became Buddhism. The breath had to feel good. The body had to feel good if he was going to stay in the present moment. So once the breath starts to feel good, the mind starts to incline there. Uh, but what we want to do, of course, is cultivate an easeful and pleasant abiding in the full body so that the full body is pervaded with ease. The body is pervaded with this quality of breath energy that's very pleasurable. This leads to that quality of pleasure, sukha. Uh, and when sukha is fully developed, when the pleasure is fully developed in the body, then the mind really becomes content. It's only at that point the Buddha tells us that the mind becomes content to stay right where it is. And it's no longer so interested in the thoughts of the world, 
the thoughts of our household lives. The way the Buddha describes this, uh, and you find this often in the teachings and his descriptions of the steps of, of breath meditation, he says, uh, and this is at the end of really describing uh, you know, these steps that we go through, he says, as he remains thus heedful, ardent, and resolute, any memories and resolve related to the household life are abandoned. And with their abandoning, his mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. So all thoughts and worries, uh, that's another new translation. I think he, he used to say thoughts and worries related to the household life are abandoned. So once the body is subsumed with pleasure, you know, we put aside, we're happy to put aside all those thoughts of the household life and there's less thinking, less thinking. You know, in this sitting today, the body was filled with ease and it was kind of like all those thoughts that I was having at the beginning. I couldn't even remember what they were. At the time they seemed so important, you know, and you know, but it's like, who cares, you know? You know, it's sort of like I'm right here. This is, you know, this is this is this is good. I'm content to be right here in this moment. And then in this next step in the breath meditation, uh, we call it been calling it step four. We just settle the mind on the breath and just let the mind rest. So we're moving towards the mind that's more and more at rest. Uh, now the mind is, you know, pretty still, it's kind of happy to be here, so we're just, you know, resting it. You know, we don't have to do as much at this point in terms of shepherding the attention onto the breath and into the body and cultivating a pleasant abiding, and we can just rest the mind on the breath at the one point, maybe just gently reminding ourselves now and then to stay with the breath. Uh, and the mind is at rest and it's, it's still. It's still, we're not doing so much at this point. The first three steps in the meditation are a lot of doing, a lot of proactive. Now we're just sort of, we're not doing so much. I mean, we're doing a little bit, but not so much. And so the mind is even more still. There's even less noise in the mind. And this is how we come into tranquility this quality of stillness. The mind is very still and it's just staying there right on the breath. There's a sense of the body in the background and there's this quality of stillness of inner silence. Silence. And it's in this silence that we can know the Dhamma. It's in this silence. Because you can't really understand the Dhamma when you're saying, let me move the energy through the elbow. Oh, the elbow's a little, let me move the energy into the forearm. So now we've done all that work. We have this pleasant abiding. The mind is content to be right here. The mind is still. We let it rest right here. And in the silence, we can know the Dhamma. In the meditation, of course, but not only in the meditation, because we've cultivated this quality uh, that becomes available to us in all postures, this quality of tranquility, this quality of inner silence. In the silence we know the Dhamma. It's in the silence that we know the Dhamma. We're able to fulfill the duties of the Four Noble Truths. We know that the heart is afflicted. And we know what we need to do to 
release ourselves from the burdens on the heart. We know what the heart is like when it's free from its burdens. We know the heart. In the silence, we know the heart. In the silence, we know the heart. So our practice is to develop this inner silence, to develop tranquility. We develop tranquility through the practice of breath meditation. We maintain these qualities in all postures that we're developing in breath meditation. You know, we have to develop inner silence, tranquility. We have to know it, right? We have to know it. We have to know the silence. What we have to learn to do as Dhamma students in developing this factor for awakening and developing inner silence, we have to develop this perception of silence, this perception of tranquility. Because there's a gap, right? There's a gap for most of us most of the time between the work we're doing to develop these factors for awakening the work that we're doing to develop tranquility and inner silence and our actual uh, knowing it and perceiving it. You know, silence is there, stillness is there, but we're not inclining to it and knowing it, knowing it and developing that perception. So important to develop that perception, to develop that perception. This is elemental to our practice. The Buddha is very clear about this. If you want to develop these factors for awakening, you have to develop the perception of these factors. Oh, this is the mind that's still, just like I alluded to in the meditation. You know, we're here, we're resting on the breath. Have this perception, this is tranquility. Or if in the earlier stages, this is ease, this is pleasure, this is tranquility, this is silence. So again, it's the skillful use of thought, right, to develop that perception of silence, you still need to use that thought, just a, that subtle use of thought. This is silence. Or right now, in this moment, knowing the silence that's right here in this moment and developing the perception. This is silence. very important to develop the perception of silence. You know, the inclination of our awareness, you know, bridging this gap between what's there and what we're perceiving uh, is such an important element of the teaching in terms of uh, developing our concentration I just see this so much, you know. I mean, the classic example is, you know, I'll be teaching a retreat, you know, like the retreat we're going to have at Powell House or even the day long, you know, and I'll be teaching the retreat and it'll be like, you know, day six of the retreat, you know, and a yogi, kind, you know, people meet with me, as most of you know, on the retreats, you know, and somebody will come in for their interview and, you know, they'll sit across from me, you know, and they're in this state of like deep samadhi and they'll say, Meditation is not going very well. I don't have any concentration at all. It's just not happening. It's like this person is like in this deep state of, and they just don't see it. You know, they're not, and part of that is just, you know, they're not inclined to seeing it. Part of it is, I think, uh, you know, we're afflicted so much by, 
you know, self-judgment and lack of conviction in ourselves and our ability to develop these, these, these qualities. So, uh, you know, we have to learn to be able to perceive uh, the silence. You know, and of course our inclination, the inclination of our awareness is not to silence. Right? It's like that, that student, the inclination is not towards the silence that's there, but towards the things they're doing that aren't going so well, right? Or the, the thought they had three meditations ago about, about what they were gonna, you know, where they were going to go on vacation. It's like, I have no concentration, right? You know, meanwhile, you're in a state of samadhi. So the inclination of our awareness is not to silence. You know, it's to loud things, or it's to things that are very pleasant or unpleasant. You know, and you know, silence is silence. It's not so easy to notice, right? It's not so easy to notice. It requires sensitivity. It requires sensitivity. We're developing a sensitivity to silence. So we have to learn to incline to silence and to know silence. So we learn to know silence in the meditation. It's one of the reasons why this step four is so useful. You know, and of course it requires kind of going through this progression of the other steps, you know, where we, so we can come into that state where we, uh, as the Buddha says, you know, any memory and resolves related to the household life are abandoned and with it abandoning his mind gathers and settles inwardly grows unified and centered. So we get to this stage and we, we, we develop this perception of silence. So in the meditation we want to learn to develop this perception, develop tranquility and develop this perception to know silence, to know silence. Now all of these qualities that we're developing in the meditation we seek to maintain to maintain, we're trying to develop a concentration that's maintainable, that we carry with us throughout the course of our days. So what that means is in all postures, in our life, what we call sometimes natural meditation, as we seek to incline to silence and to know silence you know, in our days, as we're engaging in our activities. Even right now, we can incline to knowing silence. And it's not just, of course, the external silence of me not saying anything and everybody here being muted, you know? It's the internal silence that we want to know, right? You know, ultimately, this silence is internal. So that in all of our activities, even if we're out there in the world and it's noisy, you know, we can incline to silence and no silence in all circumstances. In the noisy world, when experience is agreeable, whether experience is agreeable, disagreeable, or neutral, you know, we can incline to silence. We can know silence. This is our practice. The thing about silence is, silence is always there. Silence is always there. You know, it's an inner quality. It's a kaliko. It's part of the ever-present truth. 
it's always there. It's like so many of these qualities that, you know, maybe we're blocked off from seeing them, you know, or maybe we're just not inclining to notice them, or some combination of the two. But silence is always there. Is always there. It's ever-present. So that's, that can be your little koan this week. Or your homework as you go through the week, once a day, during the course of the day, inclined to knowing silence, the silence that's always there. No matter where we are, what the circumstances, silence is there. Can we know it? Can we know the silence that's always there? I mean, it's a practice of developing tranquility, but again, it's a practice of putting the mind in the right places. What are we doing with our intention? What are we doing with our attention, attention? What are we doing with our intention? Is our intention to put our attention on silence? Is our attention on silence? What are we doing with our attention? This is it. the key to our happiness. It's what you're doing with your mind. All that we are begins with the mind. The mind is the forerunner of all things. Where are you putting the mind? So our practice is a practice of putting the mind on the silence that's always there and knowing the goodness of the silence. Knowing the goodness of the silence. And part of the goodness of the silence, of course, is that in the silence, we know the Dhamma. In the silence, we know the Dhamma. In the silence, we know the heart. Is there anything more beautiful than the silence? Is there anything more beautiful than the silence? We have all these preconceived ideas about what's good and what's beautiful. You know, it's hard work, right? Meditation is hard work. It's hard at first, you know, and you know, we may think, what is he talking about? You know, it's sort of like I'm just grinding away here. You know, but if we put in the work, you know, we know the goodness of the silence, the blessing of the silence. It's one of the reasons why I try to encourage people to do retreats. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, the beginning of a retreat is really difficult. You know? I mean, we're refraining this seclusion from the noise of the world, but it's like, the noise of the world ain't nothing compared to the noise in the mind, right? So it's like, now you've got an even more problematic circumstance, you know, on the retreat, because you've got the noise in the mind, which is really loud, but you know, you work, you know, and after, you know, after a little while, you know, there's a subduing of greed and distress with reference to the world. After a little while, any memories and resolves related to the household life are abandoned and, and we come into the silence, you know. You know, I think for me as a teacher, I always, I mean, I, I think as a yogi too, but just as a teacher, it's just, you know, I can kind of sit there and it's like, this is so beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than, you know, these, these 10, 15, 20 people on this retreat in the silence, in the stillness, knowing the goodness of the silence. 
knowing the blessing of the silence. Retreats are very beautiful, very beautiful. So our practice is to see this and to know this, to see what the silence is like, to know the silence, to know the goodness of the silence. You know, it's like, we, you know, one of the things that we suffer from, of course, is we want to get on to the next thing, right? It's like, oh, there's some silence. All right, now what do we do, right? Let's, you know, we're busy people. It's like, be careful about being in a rush to get on to the next thing. Take some time to know the silence. This is what it means to be a Dhamma student. Take some time to know the silence. Know the goodness of the silence. In the silence, we know the heart. We know wisdom, compassion, love, joy. We know happiness. <laughs>